Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. (laughs) It's good to see everyone. Glad you're here today. Not only uh, are we glad that uh, folks are right in this room, crowded in, great crowd today. By the way, uh, I know they probably don't want me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Jason, Missy, thank you all for your hospitality and everything you do for the kingdom. God bless you, and we look forward to this afternoon. You know, it's one thing I always love about both their families. They've always had that spirit of hospitality, and that's a powerful principle in the Bible, hospitality. And, and it's, 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 made, uh, it's made for reaching people uh, and putting folks' feet under your table, and a lot of good things happen when you're gathered up together, you know? A lot of good things happen. All right, let's have a little scripture reading from Ella Martin. Ella, come on up here, sister, and read for us today. John 1:29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Thank you, girl. Great job. Uh, went for a treat. Uh, a guy that grew up at this church uh, is going to be preaching for us today, Roger DeLoach. Roger, come on up, brother. Uh, this, the Loach family has been a special part of my heart for a long, long time, as well as this church. His dad was one of my mentors and, by the way, designed in the, all this side of the building and the, everything back when we built this back in the 70s. And uh, So his handiwork is known around here in a lot of ways. He was uh, a teacher in the school of preaching that we had at that time, also the educational director, and did a host of number of ministries. And Roger... Brother, we're glad to have you. Appreciate you being willing to uh, to come and share the Word of God with us. He's going to stay in the book of Luke. I don't know where he's going to stay as a preacher. We told him <laughs> the book of Luke. Anyway, he can do what he wants. Uh, but we're glad that you're here with us today. Hey, brother. I'm glad to be here. But before you leave, so last week I'm, I'm looking at the live stream, and I happen to notice that Alan took a little shot at your, you know, Dollar General wardrobe. He made fun of my wardrobe. He made fun yes, of your wardrobe, and I thought, you know, I can't just let that stand. i got to look out for my brother. i got to have his back. <laughs> so I did a little investing in some haberdashery for you. I stopped at a place. Some of you may know. <laughs> Bucky's, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> diversify your wardrobe. I got your shirt in there I want you to have. Um, it may not be the right size. If it's too big, just give it to Alan. Uh, or, <laughs> now or, that, that was a shot. And you know he'll be back up, brother. I'm know, just telling I know. you. Uh, or you can do what I do, and that's just grow into okay. it. Okay, either Fair one. Enough. Good thank, to see you, brother. You, brother. Thank you. Good morning, church. Man, it's good to be with you. I tell you, it's, a, it's kind of a humbling experience to stand up here. Uh, man, I remember, uh, we got a lot of guests here, and I remember my first day here about 60 years ago. None of this building was here. Very little of that one was here. But, uh, man, what an interesting journey it has been. You know, several years ago, a young lady sold a song, The House That Built Me. If ever there was a house that built me besides my mom and dad's, it would be this place and Camp Chioka. I would not be standing here with you today if it were not for this church and that camp, and so many of you 
and what you mean to me. I won't go into too many personal comments today. I'm hoping, number one, this works out pretty good, and maybe I can come back one of these days and we can do a little bit more of that. But I also don't want to do too much of that because, first of all, I'll probably get weepy, and that'll be the end of what we're doing today, all right? So we came to talk about Luke, and we're going to do that. But before we do that, I will say this. While I was buying Mike's shirt down in Gulf Shores, I I went and I decided, you know, I hadn't spent enough money down there at at the Beaver's place, so I went... And I went and took the grandkids to one of these really cool go-kart racing places. So I'm there. I've got uh, four grandkids. I've got a son. And we're trying to coordinate this so that Papa spends his money where we can all race together. So I'm talking to the guy who's running the place. I'm like, hey, man, I need to race with all these kiddos right here because you, you, you really want to beat your grandkids when you're driving a go-kart. And so he works it all out. Well, while I'm standing there, this other dude is doing the same thing. And we're talking, you know, we get into kind of a conversation. We're both friendly guys. And we're talking about silly things we've done on vacations. And as the time is going by, I'm thinking, you know, this guy sounds a lot like me. So I ask him, hey, man, where, where are you from? He says, Monroe, Louisiana. I said, you're kidding me, man. I grew up in West Monroe, Louisiana. And he goes, well, well, actually, I am from West Monroe, but I said Monroe because I didn't think you'd know where that was. I said, not only do I know where Monroe is. Sorry, Monroe folks. I said, but if you're from West Monroe, you never claim to be from Monroe. (laughs) And he agreed. Sorry, we got people here from Monroe. I'll take it all back. But, uh, so we got to talking, and I said, yeah, you know, when we leave here, I'm, my family and I are going back through West Monroe. He said, what are you doing there? And I thought, Mike, I got him. You're having a visitor's day? I thought, I got him. I said, I'm going to be preaching at a church. He said, really? I said, they're having a visitor day. You guys ought to come. He said, well, yeah, maybe. What, what church are you preaching at? I said, I'm preaching at White's Ferry Road, Church of Christ. He goes, we go to White's Ferry Road, Church of Christ. Now, Mike, I thought I was going to get credit for, like, inviting somebody here, you know, like VBS, who brought the most visitors. I, I thought I was, I was, but y'all already beat me to him, man. So a shout-out to the Young family, wherever you are. I uh, hope you're here. It was nice running into you at Gulf Shores, and, and pretty fun beating you in go-karts, too. But at any rate, I digress. We are talking about what the doctor ordered. And last week, Mike and Alan did a great job of setting the table And I'm going to try not to knock it over today, okay? That's my job. And they talked last week a lot about the fact that Luke was giving us a very detailed autopsy, if you will, a very detailed investigative report. And so continuing that vein, I've been assigned chapters 1 through 3. And you're going to think we're going to read every single verse of that today because we read a lot of Bible when I preach. But we're looking at this idea of the forerunner and the Savior have arrived, and that is throughout that text. And so I have three points for you. Uh, the first one is this, the announcement of the births of the forerunner and the Savior. And I want to begin by saying Luke really investigates and reports about the angelic announcement of these births. And as he does this, he kind of gives us three things to kind of consider. Luke's going to report on some background information which will uh, give us some details of some significant facts about the people involved. He's going to also report about the birth occurrences in greater detail, perhaps, than we're going to cover today, but maybe you'll get to cover some of that later on, including things like the names that the children are going to be given. And then he's going to talk about the redemptive significance of these births. 
and the impact that the ministries of these two men will have through time and eternity. So with that in mind, I'd like to begin by realizing and and telling you too that these are not the first births that were ever announced by angels, but they are the most significant ones for a host of reasons, and we're going to look at a little bit of that today. So as Luke investigates this and he reports to his friend Theophilus, he talks to him concerning these births and the announcement of them, and he gives, again, some background information about the announcements of these births. And so beginning in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we read these words. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Sounds like this story is going to get off the ground, right? But we're going to hear a little bit more about this. And so skipping down to verse 11, we hear kind of an announcement that these folks are going to have a child, which had to be pretty impressive. Verse 11 says this, And then an angel of the Lord, and and later on in his investigative report, Luke will even give us the detail that this angel is actually Gabriel. But he says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. A very detailed guy. He he, he points it out. He's on the right side, not the left. He, He goes into great detail. And he goes on to say, When Zechariah saw him, He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. So he says, i got news for you, Zechariah. You're going to be a dad. And not only are you going to be a dad, but you're going to have a, a son. And not only are you going to be a dad and have a son, but let me tell you, I already picked out the name for him. The name will be John. Don't name him Leroy. Or something else, name's going to be John. And I kind of like that. He also talks about the redemptive significance of who John is going to be in his life and ministry. In verses 14 through 17 where we read, He will be a joy and delight to you. I can believe that. Reed and I have four children, and they've been a joy and delight, but I'll tell you, man, them grandchildren, whoo, that's where it's at. Man, if I'd known how good that was, we would have had them first. I don't think it works that way, but we would have been willing to try, okay? But he says he's going to be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And I want you to know, I don't know if you've ever thought about how much you rejoice about the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, but if you've not rejoiced about that birth, you really should. It goes on to say, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord... He will never, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to hear their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, John's going to be the forerunner. He's going to get people ready. 
Who's he going to get ready? Well, pretty much la-di-da-di everybody. He's, he's going to get us all ready for the Lord's coming. John's investigative report to Theophilus also talks about the, the, the announcement concerning the birth of Jesus. And he follows kind of the same deal. He gives us some background information again. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30 says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Look at all the detail. I mean, this is just full of detail. goes on to say, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What an impressive greeting. I've never had a greeting like that, and probably you never have either. But she added, and look at what her reaction was, probably similar to us. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. We know some things about Mary. She's very young. She's a virgin. She's pledged to be married. We also know that obviously she has high character, great righteousness. And we know that she has found favor with God. He goes on to say in verse 31, The announcement of the birth, which had to have surprised her. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. A very similar announcement that Gabriel gave to Zechariah. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. And the name is already picked out. And then he speaks of the redemptive significance of Jesus. She's just thinking she's having a kid. But what a kid. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That church is impressive. As Luke writes about these things, he uses a word that kind of surprises me. I mean, we believe Luke to be Greek. We believe Theophilus to be Greek. We also know that that when Luke wrote, he wrote in some of the most uh, technical and, and, and very highly educated Greek in all of the Bible. And yet he uses a Hebrew word often in these first three chapters to describe Jesus, which is the word Messiah. It means the anointed one, if you will. And believe you me, the Jewish nation was looking for a Messiah. They were looking for that king who would set things right. They had a lot of problems and they wanted to be redeemed as a nation. And who could blame them because they had been taken captive. They had been really persecuted by other nations around them at times. And even kings within their own ranks had been corrupt. So for God to promise an anointed one that would redeem the nation, i got to tell you, they had to be excited about that. But what's interesting is that the Greeks used a word for the same, same uh, meaning that is Christ. And Luke does not use that word, Christ, which is kind of interesting to me. And as I thought about that, why would this guy who's, who's writing to his friend who's a Gentile, who, who, who is Greek, who uses such, such you know, magnificent Greek as he's writing, use this Hebraic term several times? And there may be lots of reasons for that. 
But one that I came up with is this. When you see him use the word Messiah, he's often quoting people. And at times he's talking about people who have that Jewish perspective. And so I find that interesting. But when he talks about a Messiah, he's talking about the anointed one, the promised one. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3, the fall of man, when God says, I want to set this all right. Don't you worry. I had this plan from the beginning. And I'm going to send someone that's going to take care of Satan and sin and set things right. That promise was made in Genesis 3.15. And so as we talk about a Messiah, as we talk about a Savior, as we talk about the Christ, that's not just Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. That's who He is. That's who He is today. He is our Savior. He is God's anointed. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He has come to set things right. Yes, brother. Amen. That's who He is. And so when we look at the Savior, that's what we're looking at. And that is something that the world had been longing for and still longs for today. And so you have these two interesting characters. You have a forerunner who's coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but I get goosebumps just thinking about both of those men and their work, their ministry, and what it means to us. Nineteen people put on Jesus this morning. Amen, right? Nineteen people became acquainted with their Savior this morning. And I'll tell you why. Because someone for those nineteen people was their forerunner too. They told them about Jesus. They prepared them to meet Him. They shared with them through grace and mercy and love and patience the wonderful news of our wonderful Savior. And I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us that ever came to Jesus had a forerunner, had someone who lovingly led us down that path. When I think about a forerunner, I don't think just about John the Baptist. I think about this church. I think about how many times in my young and formidable years, and believe me, you me, you're looking today at an old fat man. I get it, but let me tell you, years ago, decades ago, there was a time when I was in my young and formidable years growing up here, and I'm going to tell you something. Even in a preacher's home, I didn't always make the best choices. And I'm sure that there were times when the members of this church, when the leadership of this church, when my own parents wanted to look at me and just go... But they didn't do that. You didn't do that. You know what you did? You looked at me and you kept pointing to Jesus. You kept accepting me with grace and mercy and love. You stayed patient and true to the mission of the gospel. And I thank you for that. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't be standing here before you today without that. You have been, so many of you, my forerunner, the one who pointed me to Jesus, and I'm thankful. So we look at this and we see that there's this whole uh, announcement of these births. I didn't want to be like Bill Smith up here today, Kelly. I, I, you know, Bill used to preach. He'd, he'd have three points, and the first one would last like 25 minutes. And then the second one would be like three minutes, and then the third one was like a nanosecond. And I didn't want to do that, but I think, I think I'm doing that. So we're going to move on. From the announcement, we're going to look at the next part of this, which is the initial arrival of the forerunner and the Savior. 
their births and what we see about it. And I want you to see that as we look at Luke's investigative report, again, he's going to kind of follow a pattern of telling the story yet again. He's first of all going to tell us about the obvious joy of others at the news of the birth of the initial arrival of these two young men. He's going to tell us, secondly, the post-arrival presentation. He's going to talk about things like when they were circumcised, when they were purified. He's going to talk about when they were publicly presented. He's going to talk about when they were named publicly. He's going to thirdly talk about the life potential that seemed quite evident with these two young men, even in the earliest moments of their life. So let's look at John real quick. We're going to see the joy. John chapter, pardon me, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 and 58. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. I got to tell you, if you can't be joyful at the birth of a baby, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. And her family and her friends shared in her joy. Then we see about the presentation of him. We read in verse 59 through 64, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like the child to be named. He asked for a writing tablet. You know, John wasn't able to speak for a while. We won't take time to develop it today, but when the birth was announced, to, pardon me, Zachariah wasn't able to speak for a while. When Zachariah was told of this birth of John, he kind of questioned it. And guess what happened? He, he couldn't speak for a while. Oh, you're going to question what God's doing? Well, we're not going to let you talk about that openly. And God shut him up. Wow be kind of nice if God did that from time to time. (laughs) I could probably really benefit from that myself. I don't know about some of you, but, but he says this. He wrote, his name is John. And immediately the Bible says, his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And watch what he does. And he began to speak, praising God. It isn't long until he breaks out into song and he tells great things that John is going to do, even at the earliest moments of his life. I find that interesting. The people round about saw John's potential very early in life. We read in Luke chapter 1, verses 65 and 66, All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. They could see it right there, even at his birth. We see Jesus' birth and his initial arrival, and we see this same pattern. Again, we see this idea of joy. We won't take time to read it because time would fail us, but in Luke chapter 2, as he's talking about this moment, it talks about all that Jesus is being born and, and how that's impacting things. We see Mary there with him in the manger, and then the next thing we see is the angel is speaking to some shepherds, and he's telling them good news of that Messiah being born. And they begin to go and and see that. And then the next thing we see, the angelic host is joyfully praising the birth of Jesus. Man, 
his post-arrival presentation. Jesus goes to be purified at the temple, chapter 2 tells us. And as he's there, there are two prophets there. There's a fellow by the name of Simeon, and there's a lady there by the name of Anna. And they began to prophesy some things. Now, Simeon was an interesting guy because the Holy Spirit had appeared to him, and he told him, guess what? You won't die until you see the Messiah. And when he sees Jesus, he knows exactly who he's looking at. Not just that king who's going to politically deliver the nation of Jerusalem, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will deliver every one of us from sin and death. And he begins to prophesy, and he begins to praise, and he begins to expound about the things that the Spirit has revealed to him about this child, even as this child is just days old. Anna, a prophetess, does essentially the same thing. And then we note that there are those who see Jesus' potential very, very early in his age. In fact, here are some of the words that Simeon said about him. He says in verse 30 of chapter 2, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which has been prepared in the sight of all nations, not just the Jewish nation, but every man, woman, and child will have access to this. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The third and final point that I have this morning is the authenticity of the forerunner and the Savior. I want us to look, after these men had been born, they grew from boyhood, if you will, childhood, to manhood. We see their true authenticity come to the forefront. We see their true purpose being revealed. We see the reason why these men came to earth. John's going to do two things. According to Luke's investigative report, he has two objectives. We read about them in chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Those verses say this, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was new. That was different. And people flocked to that, like 19 precious souls flocked to this baptistry this morning. People who've turned their life to Jesus, their Savior. John was preaching about baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, turning to God, turning to your Savior. But that wasn't all he was doing. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. That's also what John was doing. He was preparing to point people to Jesus. And I love that about him. And so when we look at John and and how he did this, I think he did this in three ways that I want to tell you real quickly. As a forerunner, he pointed out the reality of the Savior. You're going to have a Savior. He's coming. Get ready. Oh, he's not just going to fix things politically. He's going to fix things at the deepest level, at every level. For he will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior the one who will set everything right that can be wrong in your life. He also helped people to see their need for a Savior. 
You know, I think many of us see the reality of a Savior, but sometimes we struggle with realizing we need Him. Sometimes we think we're pretty good. We begin to compare ourselves to other people, and we say, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not like that guy over there or that gal over there. We compare a crooked stick to a crooked stick. And church, we desperately need a Savior. But John also did something else that I love about him in preparing the people for the Savior. He promoted proper priorities with the Savior. What do you mean by that, Roger? Good question. Glad you asked it. Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, kind of say it this way. The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Hey, man, are you, are you the one? Are you that anointed one? Are you that redeemer? Because, listen, you're telling us stuff we've never heard before. Are you the one that's coming to set things right? Are you going to be the one that, that, that takes care of our deepest problems? John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winning fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. In John chapter 3, John says it this way. That John told the people at one point in time, a person can only receive what's given to them from heaven. He's basically saying this, I know my role. I'm not the Savior, but I am the one who will continue to point you to him. Love that. We have one Savior. Hopefully you, like I, have had many people who have pointed you in his direction, who have prayed for you, who have loved you, who have given you grace and mercy in your time of need. If you're here for the first time today, I want you to know something. This is not a perfect church. There are none of those. But I tell you what, this church is filled with people who will point you to Jesus. Thank God for that church. Never quit that. goes on to say later in this chapter, he said, uh, John has also said, He must become greater. I must become less. Oh, church, if only we could learn the value of that priority principle. I need Jesus to be greater in my life than me. I need to take myself off my own self-appointed throne, get that goofy crown I put on my head off, And put the real Messiah, the real anointed one, the real Savior right there. John is trying to get people to see that. And so in conclusion, don't get excited. It's going to take a little while. But what a wonderful word, conclusion. I want us to look real quickly at the application of the forerunner and the Savior. When Mike and I were working on this, the logistics of coming here and speaking to you, uh, uh, he informed me that you guys were starting a new series, and I was pleased to hear that. Uh, he informed me that today would be vis- uh, kind of a visitor's day here, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Man, they must take it serious again. they got a visiting preacher here, so, man, they mean business about things like that around here. He told me the chapters and the characters that he would like for me to cover, and I'm trying to do that. And I told Mike, I couldn't have asked for a better topic. Because this place, to me, has always represented people 
who pointed out the reality of the Savior, who continued to point me to see my need for him, and who have continued to show me, not only in words, but in actions, that Jesus is, like the song we sang, the center of it all. He must become greater, and we must become less than. John wasn't the only forerunner. He wasn't the first. He shouldn't be the last. When I think of forerunners, I think of countless Bible characters. I'm going to read you one of the most sobering verses in the Bible to me. We're just about done. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 38. You've done great this morning. Brag to your mama. Tell her the preacher said you did a good job today. goes on to say, What more shall I say? I do not have time, and I don't either, to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Man, I'm telling you, this is all sounding good, right? goes on to say, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Again, sounding great. I'm getting goosebumps. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute. I don't know about dead children goes on to say, there were others who were tortured. Where do I sign? Refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. That's our forerunners, church. That's people who didn't give up when it got tough. They remained faithful. They remained true. They strive to say, God has something better in store than what's happening to me, and I'm going to live my best for that so that others might do it too. And then here's the most interesting part about this to me. It says they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And when I read that verse... It hits me to my core. Because there are times in my life when I say to God, how could you make my forerunners wait? How could you let those people who have been so faithful wait? Why are you putting them off so that some person like me who fumbles and bumbles and stumbles through life can enjoy it with them? And I think his answer is simple. Roger, they're forerunners. Their job is to point people to Jesus. And when you become saved, guess what you will become? You too will become a forerunner to point people to Jesus. We are in this together. 
we go as a team or we don't go at all. He says, we're going, but we're all going together. And those faithful forerunners, they're waiting for you to get your life straight and just bring it to the Savior and let Him deal with that. You don't got to clean it up. He'll take care of that for you. But we're going together. And that's why the next verse is so important to me. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those forerunners who've gone on before us, all those people who kept faithfully pushing us to Jesus and loving us despite our own sin and our own, our own letdowns, all of those people, there are a cloud of witnesses who just let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm thankful for the countless people in my life who did not grow weary. I'm thankful for the countless people in my life who said, there is a Savior for you. And I'm going to stand here and proclaim Him till my dying day. And I may not receive those promises till I'm gone, but let me tell you something. I'll be waiting for you on the other side and we'll do it together. That's good stuff, church. So i got a graphic I want to show you quickly. I spent the better part of my week, in fact, a little over a week, at, at Gulf Shores, Alabama. It's a wonderful place if you ever get to go there, and I hope you do. You'll probably enjoy it like I did. They're striving to find a graphic, and if they can find it, great. And if they can't, I'll tell you the story. But I found out not long after I got there, as I often do when I am there, one of the downsides of going to the Gulf is that often I hear about people who drowned while they're there. I can't imagine being on your family vacation and everybody not coming home. Nearly two weeks ago, there was a man from Oklahoma who walked out into the ocean for a swim at 11.20 in the morning on a Tuesday, never came back to shore. I can't imagine what that must be like. I can't imagine how difficult that was for his family to realize he was gone. They searched for him for a week. And then this headline came out that was on that graphic. They decided to call off the search. It was then, as I began to look at the details of the story, that I found out that man walked into the very beach I had been sitting on for four days. Changed my perspective at the way I looked at that ocean the rest of the time I was there. I thought somebody walked out in there having fun, and they perished, and they died, and they've called off the search. Church, we are in a desperate rescue mission. We serve a risen Savior. That is the most important thing to us. We serve a Jesus who has taken care of our sin and our grave problem. And I want to tell you something, as Mike said last week, when God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. But when we've been declared forgiven, when we meet our Savior, 
then we need to become the people who are forerunners, who point other people to Jesus, who tell them, welcome home, come be part of the family. Don't lose heart in that church. We're in this together. Forerunner and the Savior have arrived, and our lives are forever changed. Now, Mike, I don't know how to close this off. I'm going to let you do it, okay? Thank you for listening to me this morning. May God bless you, and may this church continue to do great things. Thank you, Roger. And we have not suspended the search here. We're still searching for folks that need Jesus. And if you have that need today, please come while we stand and sing. Bye.